Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first international edition of Rappin' with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer, and yeah, today I have the pleasure of welcoming Julian Baggio and Isan Dashti from Triton. And these guys are down under. It's actually tomorrow, today, in Australia. <laughs> it's 9 o'clock in the morning, Friday, in Australia. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Keith. So um, there were some technical challenges for me in terms of getting two guests on at once. These guys are uh, in Australia. It's in an international uh, um, show right here. So if, if there are any issues with the audio, if you guys can't hear one of us, please let me know in the chat. But, um, geez, so uh, we got a few folks that are tuning in right now. I see Scotty Damron. Thanks, Scotty, for tuning in again. Macy's Daddy, I see, is back. Algae Warrior, Wade Riles, and uh, Macy's uh, Daddy says hi. Uh, Julian and Isan. So, well, let me uh, let me first start to kind of give the folks that don't know you guys a little uh, background in terms of who you guys are and, and, and what you do for, for Triton. Isan is the founder and owner of Triton. And the company is called Triton Applied Reef Bioscience. He established the company back in 2008 in Dusseldorf, Germany. Triton quickly became the industry leader in water biochemistry by developing several groundbreaking innovations and by bringing an unprecedented level of transparency to the in industry and the aquarist. Isan has presented talks at numerous international conferences around the world, like the IAC, MACA, Pet South America, Pet Asia, EUAC, and MAGNA. There's a lot of acronyms there. <laughs> yeah. Julian has been an Aquarius for almost 40 years, is the head of the science division at Trident, and has a degree in marine science at the University of Queensland. He has been employed as a coral and fish collections diver, as well as a senior manager of export sales and freight logistics for Australia's largest fish and coral wholesaler. Boy, I bet, Julian, you've handled and seen a lot of eye candy in your time with that job, right? Definitely, Keith. It was the uh, best part of it. Yeah. Julian <laughs> has also presented at numerous international conferences around the world, including IAC, RAW, and MACNA. And again, guys, thanks for uh, taking the time. I know you're real uh, busy down there, but um, we're really psyched to have you. Before um, we start chatting with you guys, though, I want to thank the show's sponsor, Marine Depot. I really appreciate Marine Depot being a supporter of the show, and I appreciate the support from you folks, the viewers out there, so please spread the word about the show. Hit that like button so more people can find this live stream. And uh, now that we've taken care of some business, let's talk with Eason and, and Julian. And before we start with these guys, I encourage you folks, and these guys are actually asked me to say this before the show, I encourage you folks to ask a you know um, the tough questions. So ask these guys, fire away, ask the tough questions, the awkward questions. Try to stump them, right? And we want this to be very interactive. So with with that, guys, um, I provided a little information about your backgrounds, but can you give us really the uh, the backstory in terms of how you both started out in the reef keeping world and how you ended up at at Triton? Oh yeah, that's that's Julian's. Start start with your story first. 
All right, mate. I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, I guess, uh, as you explained, I was working for uh, the, the largest exporter at, over those 20 years. Uh, started straight from university um, and was fortunate enough to, to score a job with uh, Cairns Marine. Um, and at the start of that, I was uh, employed as a diver. Uh, so living out three or four days, five days on the reef, um, hand collecting fish, coral, um, caring for them on the boat and then bring them back um, to the facility where we would obviously stage them and, and prepare them for transport to uh, retail shops around Australia as well as the uh, big importers through LA, um, throughout America and other countries, Europe, um, almost every continent on the, on the planet. So a lot of challenges, a lot of logistics there. Um, as you said, it was probably the most enjoyable part was the the amazing diversity of uh, coral species that I came in contact with, um, you know, selecting orders, aquapora, uh, as that become kind of a thing, I guess, that when I first started at Cairns Marine, uh, there wasn't really that that uh, that demand for the, the high-end aquaporas. It was, a, it was a totally different industry back then. Um, and seeing the evolution of, of the hobby and the industry as technology and that uh, developed was uh, was probably a very interesting part of being, being a part of that export facility. Um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to meet Isan. Um, we met in Macna, Denver, Colorado. Uh, he was bringing ICP to America and presenting a talk about the power of the ICP testing. Uh, it was new to me. I'd never heard of an ICP machine, and he was very excited to explain to my, my boss and I, Lyle, um, about ICP and what it can do for, for us uh, and, and our looking into our water chemistry and having more control. Um, so I was very excited to sit in on his talk. Uh, I was doing a talk on sustainable collection um, of animals within Australia. All the collectors in Australia work under very strict management. So I was presenting about, you know, supplying the best fish and coral, and Esam was talking about providing the best water chemistry. So it was a, it was a very good match to, between us. We uh, we struck up a friendship, and that maintained that friendship for, um, for all the years later. Um, into the end, where I was fortunate enough to, um, I'd left Cairns Marine and was working for another company, a, a freight company, and then. Esan's uh, drew, drew me back, lured me back to the hobby and the industry. Um, Suck you back in. With, uh, yeah, with the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really happy because <laughs> all those years of knowledge and, and contacts and, and all the things I loved, which, I mean, I, it was my hobby, as I said, since I was five years old. Um, and, yeah, it's, it, to be back in working within the, the hobby that I love um, as an aquarist and, and also then teaching people, learning about water chemistry, it's uh, it's definitely back where I belong so that's pretty much me you sound yeah it, yeah for for me I mean I founded Triton right so um, this is the way I got to it I just founded it but um yeah I, I was a hobbyist um since I'm 12 right because there was a shop next door to my school and and it had like it was one of the shops um in the city that had marine fish so I think one of four and I was always in there, like oh, while the other cool guys did some other <laughs> stuff. I, I was in that shop and checking out fishing and live rock. Actually, there was no, not one coral, maybe, maybe, maybe a softy, but nothing else. Um, yeah, I, I just got very, um, yeah, it was a hobby thing. So it, it was very much, you know, me in that shop for, for um, a year or so, maybe from 11 to 12. And then my dad decided to get me a, you know, aquarium at home and that's the way I started the hobby and my dad was a, is a chemist um my, my mom is a pharmacist so it was kind of you know that side of things 
that that was interesting for me too because they can't answer me the questions that I had back then. It was a time where where skimmers were still air driven, like so they hadn't had you know pumps and stuff. So it's it's pretty early, um, and we hadn't had a sump. So it was always like it was all the beginning, which really was a crazy um, good time, and and that's the way it kind of developed, um, I think, and then it went just that way until it reached a point where I was studying chemistry, and I realized that there's um, there's a lot of things missing in our industry. So it was um, my dad actually said it's not an industry, <laughs> so or we can we can talk about it later, but but. Um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a yeah challenge, um, but there was a there was a clicking point a, a point where where I said, oh yeah, I think that's the way to go, where people started to produce products for the in for for our hobby, right? So really for it. So and I mean pumps and lights and stuff like that. So you know before that, like I say, there was no. It was air-driven skimmers, and a skimmer was maybe the first thing that was maybe made just for marine aquariums. Um, but then there was pumps we used from, like industry pumps back then, like big, bulky pumps that that had just a PVC mount on top, so it's not you know it's not corroding. But the rest of the pump was all industry stuff. And at one point, the company starting to adapt just for for um. For, aquarium, for marine aquariums and they built pumps that are just made for marine aquariums and that was that was actually the, the you know the case with lamps and, and stuff too and we everybody in the hobby got more um, successful and I think back then because I was a bit of the chemistry guy I saw that there is a need for doing the same thing to the hobby in a chemical way and that's why I started trying Right, so the Triton. Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of the reason why I started Triton because I saw that 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 um that need for a bit of science, for a bit of you know chemistry made for the aquarium, not not whatever is out there. Just grab it and try it. Um, and that was the way where when I found it, Triton. There's a, there's a very hobby reason for it, which I think we'll elaborate later. But yeah, that's that's the way I found it with my dad and my mom back then. So, so Isan, can you um, just give the folks that are not, um, you know, intimately familiar with Triton in terms of what the company is all about and kind of explain just um, briefly the uh, the products and services that you guys offer? Yes. So we, um, we are a company that wanted to make reef keeping modern and more transparent. That's actually pretty much what we do, right? So especially for the chemical biochemical side. So we're not, we're not the people that build lamps. We've done that. We had a lamp, um, Lani, and we sold the brand, um, to a, to a manufacturer, to another manufacturer. Um, but we, we just started out because the industry is not big. So we need to kind of focus on something and that's, that's chemistry, right? That's our strength. Um, we, do a lot of lab testing. We have four laboratories around the world. One of them is in Los Angeles. Um, UK is London. We have one in close to Frankfurt in Germany and one here. Um, and what we do is we we try to demystify um, all the chemical processes in an aquarium and then produce products that people can use at home, right? So what we started with was lab testing. We um, started to f to see what's in 
people's aquarium and we made it possible for them. That's what we call transparency, possible for them to see what's in their own aquarium, what's in their products, what um, really is the reason why they fail, you know, because um, when we started, before we started, it was just maybe 6.5 to 7% of visibility of your water chemistry. So you, when you do all your home test kits, you're actually missing 94% of your water, right? So there's a lot of little things that can harm your corals. A lot of, you know, there was a lot of mistakes, unintended mistakes people did. Um, things that anecdotally we try to avoid, but there was no possibility to actually find out if we did a good job with avoiding them. Right? So we hadn't had a, a check like, hey, um, do I touch my tank too often, right? Do I put my hand in there too often? Yes or no, and there was nothing saying to you yes or no. I, I did it too often, or did, and, and this is why my corals died. And obviously, there is really a reason. If you use hand cream and like builders and women tend to have, for example, a lot of zinc in their aquarium because they use hand cream with zinc and then they touch their aquarium. And we found out over years um, of data collecting that this is this is a possibility, right? Not counting for everybody, but. You, you learn know, something new every day, I'll tell you. You learn something new every day. I had no idea. Yeah. Hey, it's funny, but we, we learn something new every day, Julian and me. Now, with four machines around the world, we actually, you know, at the point where we can talk about it later, like I say, but it's, it's crazy in a moment. So, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, we, we did this um, and we still keep doing it. And it's, it's made, it made people very much around the world very successful because they can they can see what they do. They can control things on their own. And it's not just going somewhere in a forum or somewhere and ask, hey, is this product good for my tank? Or is, is this causing my corals to die? That's, that's a question that has been out there for so long. And then there are, there are chemical discussions about ionic disbalance, about, um, you know, products you should use or not. And, I mean, millions of things. You can just go back in time and, and check out the forums in America because I was there. I was checking out the forums <laughs> in America. And, and I just wanted a solution and, and you know, a, a way out of this permanent questioning and, and, and answers. And that's why my dad and me back then said, yeah, uh, there is no way out. We need to have something um, that can test for it. We, we need to have a laboratory that is gone that way. And we started doing that 2008 right so that caused but afterwards a lot of other things to happen <laughs> so it just you know it's not ending science is always open in one door and then you you stand there and have two doors right so then we, we're we're faced with a lot of things that doesn't work and we were faced with a problem where we can't blame anybody because we're not the company that, that do that like you can't say hey this is bad and this is bad and this is bad and this is bad so we started to create our own chemicals out of the ability to and, and our own method um, that people can switch to to get everything right. I mean, you know, this is the best way um, to do it because you're not kind of aggressive into the market. And that also gave a lot of other companies the possibility over time to adapt to that modern way of reef keeping, which they did. I mean, we're, we're looking at, you know, I think 16 ICP testing wow. machines around the world now, right? So, um, which is, again, it's the right way because you kind of, you, the goal wasn't, you know, be the sole, you know, modern super reef keeping company. It was more help the people to get more successful and grow the hobby entirely. 
And that's what happened, to be honest. Like people are more successful, way more successful with SPS than we have been before because they have more control, because there's more knowledge out there. Even the anecdotal knowledge is better than before. Um, I'll remember times where people said potassium is super dangerous in Europe, while in America nobody cared. And that was what we saw on, on the tests, you know, the super high potassium in America and super low in Europe uh, in the beginning. And and it's just like, you know, that, that was just, it doesn't matter, high or low kind of, you know. But that was, you know, a, a knowledge that actually, even the anecdotal knowledge was kind of misleading somehow. Nobody knows which right. And it, it came up um, over the testing time. And yeah, so we, we, we really try, what we, what we stick to is scientific working, right? So we try to get the industry more scientific, um, not from the way that you should write papers. Uh, we're not the NASA, you know, we're not trying to, you know, go to moon, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a mindset. It's a mindset how you, you kind of see your hobby and how you run your aquarium. That's most of our customers actually say that it, it, it is a mindset more than it's a product, right. right? So we try to understand what we do. We try not to put everything in there and we actually try to reduce the amount of fancy marketing very much, which is, in my opinion, still the main driver of failure in our hobby. Um, because over-marketing things cause people to be super excited and put stuff in their aquarium and they, you know, they kind of get unaware of what they're doing. And it's, that's exactly what is the opposite of frighten, if you want to kind of explain that. So guys, we have, um, we got a few questions in, in the chat, but maybe before we do that, you guys also, um, provided some video of some Triton tanks that, um, I believe are, um, examples of tanks that were on the Triton method. So maybe if I show that video and maybe I, I can mute the, uh, the sound on that and, and maybe it, it would be awesome if you guys could just kind of explain what that Triton method is in terms of the full Triton method for, for a tank. So let me, um, let me run this and I'm muting the sound on it. So, um, Folks, we'll, we'll see the video come up in about 20 seconds because we've got a bit of a, uh, a lag here with the uh, live feed and YouTube. But, uh, yeah, why don't you guys go ahead and kind of explain what the full trite method is for um, yeah. folks out there. Yes, um, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll do that maybe easiest. Um, so the trite method is actually two things. It's, it's the way you run your aquarium, um, maybe the easiest way and the most successful because you kind of need to look at the end result. Um, the Triton method is pretty much what people uh, run the tank like in the past for soft corals, but it's having the ability to go really high end, which you will see on, I don't know which video you're showing right now, but both of them. One is my tank, my aquarium, back then in Dusseldorf, and one is one of our recent customers that you know, was very happy about it and, and um, got me a really nice um, present for my birthday. Anyway, um, so the thing is that the Triton method is just a complete solution to run your aquarium. That's what it is. So it's not, you're not relying on anything else. Um, we do that because you're not doing, you can't do any mistakes if you do it like that. So you, you're not, you know, you don't need to choose any other products or whatever. There are recommendations for skimmers. Um, it's a fixed filter with algae, like a biological system. Let's say that. Um, and you have an algae bed, and then you run you run our elements that 
actually support the algae and support your filter. It's the main thing to it. Um, it's very easy to use, actually. You just go by protocol and you obviously will have a very stable system that works for a long, long time and have um, very crazy high-end results if you want to, right? If not, it's, it's still okay to kind of move away from it a bit, um, but the end result, that high-end result that you will, you will see um, corals growing on the rock, one meter, you know, I mean, one my clam was one meter big, right? Um, mm. There's a lot of videos of that clam out there um, in, in the middle of, you know, Germany with no sea around, um, and it spawned in there twice. Wow. So it just, um, yeah, it, it is a very natural aquarium, like a very natural type. There's a lot of fish that are kept. Um, They're very hard to keep for ages, you know, um, because of the food sources that you kind of produce for them. And all the big one-meter corals were alive from below, like without light, right? So they, they growed on the rock and they still kept growing because you had enough food to support the lower structure. You don't even see that sometimes in the sea out here, in the barrier reef. So some of the corals out here, they die from below, you know, like, but, but in that tank, it wasn't the case. Maybe you see that on the video. But anyway, um, that's the one th side. So for the customers, it's, it's kind of the easiest way to get successful. Um, and for us, it's the best way to support them because we know this system. It's a bit of a cage, to be honest. You need to do a lot of things that's kind of looking like at, at first sight you would say ha huh, that's that's a bit of um caging me in you know like i need to have an algae maybe i don't want that but it's all having a reason um because the main problem is that if you go too chaotic then nobody really can help you because you're ending up in so many variables um that even a support even me being a really good reef keeper for years um can't help you it's, it's a more of a guesswork i'll just say okay i have maybe seen this maybe you change that right but with triton support is a bit different because you come up come to us in a full triton method we exactly know what you're doing right so if you say i have cyanobacteria we know what's the most likely case so we can help like right away mm -hmm. and say yeah Matt, you don't have enough life rock and mostly it's like oh yeah where do you know that i don't have any life rock it's a yeah, yeah, we know that because that's the course over 12 years, 13 years, we found out that this is mostly the course for having a cyanobacteria in a Triton system, not so everywhere. So if, if somebody develops cyanobacteria in a Triton system, you guys can kind of come up with a roadmap in terms of how to take care of that cyano? Exactly. Can I, I'll just add, add to that, Ethan. Just your, your, yeah, like you said, it sometimes gets described as a bit of a cage, but um, I, I, I kind of flip that and say it's, it's a safety net um that you know if the sharks are outside circling you want to be in a cage because it's safer and that's where i mean i look after the support desk with esan and like he said when people contact us we have the ability to you know we ask the question are you are you running a triton system triton method um it as a scientist uh it we always talk about knocking out the variables you know you gotta try and take all the variables out of the equation and then you've got the ability to kind of bore down to the root root issue so if we already know, based on them using the Triton method, the componentry of their filtration, their export systems, how they're removing nutrients, that is a massive uh, step forward. For, for, you know, we, we leap to pretty much the core issues. We can identify those very quickly. Yeah, we even know what they add. We know that they add in our product. So we know what we add, um, you know, trace element-wise, whatever. So that's, that's if, if I, you want to, 
sorry, Keith. You I, I was just going to ask, you know, um, that's interesting. What, what I mean, does that, uh, is that the same case for like, if somebody develops uh dinos or, or gets bryopsis, can you guys kind of come up with a similar yes. uh, type of plan to help folks with those? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. And even look, even if you're using the wrong pump, we can tell you sometimes people are amazed, you know, when we come up saying, Hey, you're using this pump because we saw tungsten in your chrome. And they say, where do you know which pump I'm using, right? Because data creates knowledge, right? That data we have, we have, we have tested now over 500,000 tests of the chromes in that time, right? This is a massive database. And we can't, there's so much data that we can't really, honestly, not know everything out of it. There's so much in it still. Um, but yes, that, that data helps us to, you know, get down to the root of a lot of problems people have and, and find find solutions much quicker than it was possible before. That's what I've talked actually, why, why I founded this company, right? That's from the side of the aquarist, right? So from, from, from our customer side is the easiness and the ability to help, which is superior, like compared to anything else is out there. But, and, and for that reason, because it's so old and there's so much data. But for us is actually... That's, that's the main thing we can do science on because you need to understand one thing. When I first time tested vanadium, nobody know what it what it's good for, what it does, it is needed or not. There was no knowledge about it, nothing, right? So there's just, a, just maybe a pub, published somewhere how much vanadium you can approximately um, expect in seawater, but nothing else, right? Or chromium, cobalt, whatever. Um, and and there is a bit of, you know, write-ups about something that they could do. And it's more mostly about coral skeleton or, you know, out in the sea, but nothing for chromes. Again, it wasn't for chromes, right? So what we did with the Triton method was solving one big problem. If we test chromes around the world, millions, doesn't matter, um, and they're all chaotic, and they don't follow a framework, then we can't extract information. It's a bit like you have two cars and you will you try to find the best fuel and you have two different cars and you fuel them up with the same fuel and you drive them. That's actually not saying anything about the fuel because the cars are so different. If you run exactly the same car and two different fuels, it's saying a lot about the fuel you used because the car that is driving faster or whatever is actually just different because of the fuel, right? So the same thing we did, this is called a framework, a scientific framework, we did with the trite method. So what we created is thousands and thousands of exactly, nearly exactly running the same system filter-wise and light-wise or whatever we can do, whatever is possible to make them very sim similar. And then now our data is very much comparable between these aquariums. So if, if we have 100 aquariums with high vanadium, or let's say we have 100 aquariums with um, high vanadium and low chromium, and then there's little differences in some of them, we can still say, oh, okay, so in this case, vanadium and chromium are not harmful, but if you, run a, if you don't run a skimmer, then actually in each of the aquariums that not run the schema, let's say 20, everything died. So it's pretty much, you know, maybe 
this is kind of a, a problem. Or if you have a lot of aquariums where manganese is visible or detectable when you acidify and um, or iron, and you have a lot of them not having it, but they have the same corals, and one group has not having the issues the others have, and everything else is very similar or nearly the same, you can actually understand what these trace elements do to your aquarium, which still we are the only ones doing that, right? So it's it's just not possible without the framework. So that two things. Yeah. So um, yeah. before I jump to the uh, to the viewers' questions, I had one one quick question for you guys. And um, so Isan, your tank was uh, was awesome. I mean that that clam was just incredible. Somebody also, uh, algae warrior made the same comment about the clam, but obviously chock full of, uh, corals. Algae warrior is an awesome name. Yeah. There actually. you go. <laughs> very, very apropos. It's pretty hard to fight with the algae, yeah, but yeah. okay. We, we've all been algae warriors, right? <laughs> that comes with the territory. Uh, so your, your tank obviously has a high alkalinity calcium demand, or I guess that tank did have that uh, high demand. And, you know, I have a 187-gallon established tank, SPS dominant, that um, before I switched over to calcium reactor was, um, you know, it needed about 300 mLs per day of the ESV2 part that I was dosing. With, with that amount of calcium alkalinity demand, can the uh, Triton method become cost prohibitive? Um, yes, because we actually have a version that runs with a calcium reactor. Yeah. So you can do the, you know, because we're talking about calcium supplementation. It doesn't really matter which type of calcium you supplement, you know, or alkalinity. It's always alkalinity and calcium. So you can you can do the Triton method using the barling or a three-part or Harandi home stuff because that's just calcium and alkalinity. The Triton method is more mostly based on traces and nutrients and stuff like that so we're looking you know further than that there, there's like i'll tell you from a sort of a chemist there's no difference too much like not too much difference between a calcium reactor or any other way to supplement calcium and alkalinity nothing will be better using calcium and alkalinity um dosed by this guy or that guy impurities um are something that you need to look at but ICP testing will solve that problem anyway. But anything else, it not really matter. So if you're going to run Triton, you can do that by using a calcium reactor media we give you because it's very pure. And then you go for the traces you would need for your for your sump, right? So um, let me explain, maybe based on the name. Um, look, if you're running the cream, you're losing the most most vital, like, you know, let's say the most things you're losing is because of your filter, because your filter is made to filter your aquarium. So it's made for extraction, right? Um, it's not the, the animals using it up. It's, it's a lot of other chemical things that happen in an aquarium that, you, that causes you losing iodine, you're losing iron, you're losing manganese, you're using a lot of, you know, you, you, you're losing that stuff. And mostly it's your filter saying that, that means that you need to know mostly what your filter needs or what your filter takes away to understand what to replenish every day, right? So you need to have it stable. That means as often you can, you need to replenish what your filter takes away, you know, out of a mistake, maybe. Let's say that, right? So by 
by solving the filter issue, which we did, we have a fixed filter. So you need to stick to this filter. That's the cage, right? You stick to the filter, but we know exactly what this filter needs, right? So we exactly tell you how much carbon to use, how much um, aluminium-based phosphate remover to use, how much GFO to use. And we know exactly how much stuff these this things will take away from your water. So we can replenish them. So we create a baseline in the Triton method. A baseline, and that's why we call our product the base elements. Right? So the, the, the base elements are made to create the zero baseline for you to be able to supplement your tank based on your animals. Right? So otherwise, you would actually just add stuff right um and hoping that some of it will actually arrive at your animals but in this case you can do that scientifically by basing out zeroing out your your filter and whatever is missing then or is used up then is most likely to be used in your aquarium from your animals or other reactions that, that you know metabolic reactions and that's the way it works right so um if you want to use the trot method right now in your case, you just use the calcium reactor media and we'll give you the, the you know, solution that's it's called infusion. It's a little bottle actually have that you that, can yeah. add on top. Yeah. And and that is actually solving your filter issue. So it's basing out your your it's creating your baseline and whatever you do, ICP testing or stuff uh, afterwards, you just add it and you know that it's gone where it should go, you know. I was just going to add to that, he said. Sorry, um, Keith, really quickly. Yeah. I, I think the, um, the, the core illogical um, problem that a lot of, uh, that if you think about it, makes the dosing of an aquarium, um, makes, it makes no sense, is when you think of everyone's aquarium as individuals. You don't know what your corals are different to my corals, the size of your colonies is different to mine. So even ESAM can't tell you what your tank needs. It's really, as he said, with the base filtration, he can, he can know what the filter needs and everything else is dictated by your tank. And that's where ICP testing allows you to look at what other deficiencies based on the unique fingerprint of your aquarium. So, yeah. um, so that said, just because there was a question of, of um, I think it, it's a pricey question, it's a very practical question you, you said. But that said, um, you can run, so you can choose about your calcium your calcium supplementation. If not, my tank used up 40 kh a day. That was 900 mil of course seven each day into this aquarium. So it's quite a lot, you know. Um, and I would always, you know, recommend from 3,000 liters upwards to maybe use, if you're not me and can mix that stuff, to maybe use a calcium reactor, you know. It's, it's, um, Definitely a, a more cost-effective version. Can can you use the uh, Triton infusion with a um, a media that's not Triton uh, media for the calcium reactor, or do you need to use infusion with the reactor medium from um, Triton? Um, no, you can use it with other media, but you need test to test it before because if it contains impurities, which a lot of them do because they're natural, um, you 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 know you actually could be overdosing one of the trace elements. So if they contain, you know, iron or manganese, in that case, you, you have an acidic solution in your calcium reactor. So you will dissolve these things and then they, they get into your aquarium. You're possibly ending up with a, some with some algae. So you, you can check it. You can just um, test your 
you know, reactor media by sending in the output of it. And you can see, you can talk to us about mm. it. You can ask us if is this okay to use, and we will tell you. Oh, you cool. know, it's no problem at all. Um, two little fishies reborn. Any um, idea in terms of whether that's a good one to use with the with the infusion, or is that just do you need to just have it tested? I I think look we we don't. I've never tested it on my own, and I wouldn't be. I wouldn't say anything because I really love Julian. The other Julian, I love both Julians. It's very good, um, but but um, Julian Julian sprung, sent us some stuff a while ago, and and he, you know, tried to find out. So I'm pretty sure it should be okay. But I would always okay. test it. The, the you know the the mindset is you know best. Don't believe us. You know you use it. It's an anonymous test. We don't know what you're testing. Just send it in. And you will know from you for your own, right? And if you have questions, you always can ask. There's no point, right? But um, I think testing is 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 the best thing going on with that. So, um, folks, we have about 50 viewers right now watching us, and we only have 16 likes. So, if you're digging what you're watching here, make sure you smash that mm -hmm. uh, that like button so more people can find the uh, the live stream. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into some of these uh, questions, guys. From Macy's daddy, big big yes. fan of your work. When I send in Triton ICP tests, it comes back with only one or two very, one or two very minor deviations, but suggests water changes over um, why? Why not skip the test and just do water changes? Uh, you you could do that, but maybe you don't need to. Actually, you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, knowing and acting afterwards is better than just not knowing and doing something right so this was the case where people went crazy on me in the beginning even in denver saying i'll do water change water change i'm not against water changes but i'm against too much non-reasonable work so i don't like to you know do water changes on a two and a half thousand liter tank every week if i don't need to you know and the possibility you have nowadays is you can you can see if you need to do it or not so if you look at it and you need to do it, we do it because if you have lead in the tank, get a water change done. But how often do you have lead in the tank? Like, obviously, if you do the Triton method, you will not have lead in your tank. You will not have arsenic in your tank. So this is not a reason to do a water change. And mostly people think a water change is a good thing. I think it's only a good thing if you use good seawater and every time you use salt, it's actually not for um, for sure better than what how you have in your aquarium right now, because that's that's live water, which we call live water, and the other one is dead chemical water, right? So is it, it, it to for the live water to be worse than that chemical water? A lot of stuff need to have happened, right? So you need to be aware of mixed up fresh seawater is not always the best thing to have, right? And and people can do that by testing that water. You can send it in, you know. Again, so many people have done that already in the years. And, and they've found, wow, my salt is maybe not the best to do the water change with, you know. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a bit of a complex thing. But to be honest, yeah, without an ICP test, you're just running blind. I'll just add something to that because um, I was looking at that question. And it's, uh, I think... The, if if you're being advised by Triton as a recommendation to do water changes, then even if it's a small deviation, it must be in something which cannot be removed 
via an easier alternative. Um, yes. And it is a toxic um, element that is of concern. So we're only ever recommending a water change if there's not an easier way of, of, of achieving removal. Uh, and if there's a deficiency, then in most cases, it's just a matter of the advice will be to add the specific element that you're deficient in. Yeah. So a, another question from Planet 3D, and the question is, what is the most common minor element that causes tank issues? Is, is there something that um, you guys kind of see a pattern in terms of, uh, um, you know, minor element that is a, um, you know, problematic? Um, yeah, we have a lot of, we, we obviously do a lot of science in that area. Um, it was, let's say it was because recently it shifted a bit. It's not too much trace elements in the moment. It's more organic carbon in the moment, to be honest. Um, but let's stick to the ICP. Uh, for a long time in America it, and in Europe, it was barium the main thing that caused issues, um, still causing issues, because it was added to the strontium supplementation of some um, people. There is a thing out there, it's called strontium barium complex, and it's based on strontium. Assuming that barium, because it's very close to strontium, um, is needed too. But we found out that this is not really the case, and it's more harmful than any beneficial. So you stick with a strontium that is just strontium works better. And it's getting better because some of the companies kind of changing that um, and strontium is getting purer. But pure strontium is a bit more expensive. So it's this is one of the things that you see very often. Um, another one that causes issues is, is not, it's tin sometimes. Tin is, I think America pretty much, there's, there's some tin around in the moment. How do you um, get tin in your water? And, uh, so there is there is one thing that you can have it in a in in a glass aquarium when you have a fresh aquarium because the glass producers sometimes use tin on one side of the glass mm. for any producing thing. And if you don't have something to clean it proper, and you have that side inside your aquarium, you will have a lot of tin in the beginning. Um, a lot of Artificial rocks, artificial ceramics, um, artificial things people use. They leach tin over time. This is why we say, you know, go better life rock. That's, that's kind of the thing we, we recommend. Um, then, then you also have tin sometimes because of metal close to the aquarium. Not in the water, but even close is sometimes enough um, to kind of create, salt is creeping up and, and kind of, falling into the tank um hinges hinges on cabinets yeah mm. yeah hinges so we have a lot of things like that um, listed up when you do a test with us then and you have something like that it actually tells you the most likely cases listed up right just right like from the most likely one first go and low so you can actually click the box and say oh i don't have any changes that's fine i don't have this uh maybe it's this right so this is the way we we report our data back to you when when you have something like that and you will find it um but yeah i, I think in 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 america there is a lithium problem too a magnesium lithium problem um but it's not really hurting you guys i i don't see did you did really you, a problem did you say uh lithium isan 
Yeah, yes. every time I order an ICP yes. test, I get back like sky high lithium, and um, you know, yes. I, I wonder if like if that's a problem. But I, you know, I've read like on the forums that um, you know you're not really supposed to worry too much about high lithium levels. Exactly, we 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 were more we were more concerned in the beginning when I first started testing in America, like years ago, and I had it I have it in one of my talks. I say you guys have chrono crazy lithium here which I've never seen anywhere else in the mm. world. Um, and I think it's linked to the magnesium salts you guys using. It's like, say, in the beginning, nobody knows um, is it bad or, or good to have, you know. Um, nowadays, we know better. So we have more data. And, and most, most aquariums in America have elevated lithium um, or sky-high lithium. Some of them have really high lithium. So every time I check the quality, the quality control. I actually check every test that is running over all of our labs, right? So it's always me or my dad, but I will see the, the last look. I will have the last look at every test. And it's it's still a lot of high results, like 4,000, 1,000, 2,000. But what's funny is that it seems that, that this caused um, a lot of issues for bryopsis. So mm. a lot of people use you know, a supplement in the past to get rid of bryopsis, which kind of 50-50 works, right? And we found out that this is containing a lot of lithium and higher your lithium amount. And, and nowadays, people use lithium to actually get rid of bryopsis uh, from time to time. So I don't, I don't see a problem with that. There's no need for panic if your lithium is high. Um, you can do a water change to get it down. Lithium is a very light very very light element so it's light in weight right that means that it, there is a lot of atoms in your aquarium if you have high lithium but it that nothing dies from lithium i've never seen anything like that so even not too low not too high so um josh muldoon has a uh, has a good question and he wants to get back into talking about um cyano diatoms dinos um specifically phosphate and nitrate ratios. And yeah, he's saying that he's guilty of chasing numbers, but that's because in 13 months he has uh, not been able to get rid of his cyano. He's tried 70 to, 70 to 1, 100 to 1 ratios in terms of the uh, the nitrates to phosphate, no change. So it, he's doing full Triton method and, and dry rock. So any uh, any thoughts in terms of why he still has the, uh, the cyano or any suggestions in terms of the, that target ratio? Before his dry rock. starts, yeah, <laughs> dry rock, oh, dry rocks, dry rocks, not good start. I'm just going to mention, just if we don't get a fully answer, uh, Josh's question or anyone else who has questions, um, the support service for Triton, which is free, is uh, hello at triton.de. So if we don't get to answer your questions here, because I can see a lot of good questions there, um, feel free to send us an email and myself and Esan work on that together. So get back to you there. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. Um, yeah. So, like, I'm not. I'm not going to. It's obvious, but look, likely the most likely case, and that's, this is why I said it before. In this case, a Triton method, full Triton method without live rock. We have seen a lot of these tanks running into cyano problems, right? So, and it's hard to get rid of them because they're not there because of in like imbalances of ratios. Um, and organic carbon because you don't use organic carbon, right? So that's kind of the thing. Um, what happens then 
if this sign is not going away, is people tend to try a lot of things outside the tried method, a lot of products. Because cyanobacteria are like the thing that you can get people to buy products, right? So there are a lot of products promising cyanobacteria can go away from it. Um, but in this case, if possible, I would just go right away, get me some live rock, put it first in the filter, get some live rock in the in a display, and just just wait and uh, ask the support, write an email, mate, um, for how much. Give us more data so we can help you better. So don't just run into a shop now and buy twenty kilo and you have a twenty gallon tank. Like this is not the, the you know. So you just ask us. But most likely, this is the first thing we'll tell you. Do this and wait. And I think it will solve the problem on its own. Do you guys um, recommend folks when they're starting up a tank that they uh, has have some sort of um, live rock in there and, and not uh, start 100% uh, dry rock and try to seed it that way? Yes. Yeah, I was going to just add something. I, I can see one of the questions asking about um, about keto, ketomorpha, yeah. and whether calerpa. But I... I We'll address it here because it, it kind of flows across. The, the, the Part of the Triton method is to have a, the largest piece of live rock possible in your refugium. Um, one, for it gives um, a point of attachment for some algaes. And the important thing is that um, keto is a good starting point. But as Isan can explain, over the 12 or so years his aquarium was running, his algae within his refugium um, constant, went through different phases. So depending on his aquarium and, and what's the water chemistry was and what suited best, the algae actually adapted. And the reason it could do that is because the spores were on the live rock. There is effectively seeds. So he didn't have to add different algae. They just came naturally out of that live rock. So I think it's a very important part of the, the system. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. Um, so, so sorry, but the, the, what was the question before? <laughs> it was... We just, I just missed that. So th there was the, the algae one. Um, and then, and Keith asked something before because I want, I wanted to say something and it just, just we're, right. we're, we're going all over the place or we're all over the board. Yeah. But, uh, sorry. Um, well, let me, let me, um, let me, let me try to, well, let me ask another question. Maybe we'll get back around to where we were before, but, um, is is it uh, is a refugium like the best way to do the uh, the Triton method? I have a um, Paxbellum arid algae reactor, you know, and um, so I've I've been using that on uh, my tanks. I first started using it with my uh, 187 gallon tank. I'm I'm now using it with my 225 gallon tank. Or is a refugium ideally better than versus an algae reactor because an algae reactor is not necessarily a refugium. But um, so what are your thoughts in terms of the different ways that you can utilize macro for the Triton method. You know, you've got a refugium, you've got algae scrubbers, you've got uh, algae reactors. Is there one of those um, methods that works best with Triton? We, well, that's um, not difficult to answer. The, 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 the reality is it's depending on what you want to reach, right? So you want to reach an aquarium like my aquarium, then you definitely stick to everything we say exactly the way we say it. And that's the algae, that's a, a, a refugium, right? And the reason for that, and behind behind the way we work is always a reason, right? The reason for that is the ability of the algae to adapt to your water. Algae is similar to the plants we have in the garden, okay? All of them, 
need specific things in the soil. Like you, you, you have this plant, you put a bit of, you know, a fertilizer for the plant. You can buy them in, in the garden center, right? So you can buy them in, in, the, in the, wherever in the shop. But they're different for different plants, okay? And they're even different for, for making them bloom or, you know, create flowers or even color the flowers. So, so if you understand that, it means that soil, soil dictates which plant will grow on it. Right. This is the reality. So the soil in our case is the water means that if you have if you have changing water parameters, nutrient wise, then also a better another algae will grow in your sump. And you will. This is what Julian explained. You 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 can't dictate the algae. The, the algae will be dictated by your water. So you need to have this thing growing in the time it need to grow. So if you change your aquarium, you go for a group of antiers, you definitely will feed more. And that causes your water levels to change, which then causes your algae to adapt. So maybe your Cheeto will go down and um, Rastomosa, you know, like Colapa will grow then and, and take over in a dominant way. Um, and that's what you want because you want biological adaption. That's a biological adapting filter. In the case of a reactor or algae turf scrubber, you're a bit, you know, kind of um, limiting this. This ability is not there. You know, you collapse in a in a in a pack spellum is maybe possible. I don't know, but it's it's kind of not that good. Like, you know, like you would have a chitomorpha in there, and and that's just the reason why, you know, it 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 for a really high level, it would be prefer we we'll prefer still a I, I, you know, controllable refugium because there's a lot of more stuff growing there um, and you can use different light. Again, like light is important for algae too. You can't limit the light because then you would limit the type of algae too. So that's, that's the reality behind it. Um, doesn't mean it, it, it not, it's not working. So for a lot of people, because they don't want to reach a one meter clam or one meter, you know, corals in their aquarium, it's all right, you know, that, that's kind of, but you can step up, you can do things about it. You know, if you, if you think you're happy with, with this, you start with it and you look if it works and still, still there are other possibilities. I mean, you know, it's, it's still adapting, but you're not adapting all of the tank. You just have a little thing that you change and then you kind of go that, that way. And we have a lot of people with, with algae turf scrubbers happy with the tank. It's okay. So it's basically, you have more, um, you have more variety, you have more different types of algae. So there's different um, options in terms of the adaptability of, of that, in terms of the uh, the algae you have in yes. a fusion versus a reactor or a scrubber. Okay. Um, yeah. You, there's some, uh, one thing more. You have also more biodiversity, um, little animal-wise. You know, you, there, there is a bit of more, you know, like, like but it needs more space. So it's not like, you know, this or that. If you don't have the space... You go with it with the LD um, with the Pax Bellum because that's space saver and it works. So you go there. If you have it, if you you have to cho to choose and you want to go high end, you use the refugium. So if um, if somebody's doing the Triton method right, and let's say they've got the cyano, um, and let's say that their nitrates and phosphates are testing out at zero, um, you know, 
is the cyano essentially absorbing all the uh, the nitrate and the phosphate and and kind of giving you false readings? What what do you guys recommend if um, you know somebody's got an allergy problem? Zero nitrates and phosphates. You know, should they be um, dosing nitrates and phosphates? Should they be increasing the the lighting period for the refugium or the algae reactor? What um, what do you guys typically uh, advise when people are in those uh, you know have that kind of um, scenario going there? To 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 really help people, you you kind of need to go case by case. That's that's not just we didn't we never go generically because that's not Triton. That's not what people expect. You know, we did all this stuff to to not go generic, right? So if people have questions, they come up like like the guy the guy what you know that asked before with his rock that is dry rock. Um, it doesn't matter what his nitrogen phosphate says in that moment. You know, it's it's a biological reason, most likely. So we tell him to use that. If we don't have that information and just have not nitrogen phosphate, we actually don't say too much because that's not enough. You know, it, it won't help. It could make it worse. Like you say, it's either it's, it's taken everything or it's there because there's no competition. So, you you know, it's, it's both ways it's possible. It's 50-50. You add it. You end up with more, or you end up with none. It's just not. This is a you know. This is this is not scientific. This is kind of you know. So what we do is we it, we we would ask for them to come back to us, ask us. We ask more questions, and then we decide which one is more um, likely um, in that case. And most mostly we're right, and we just and it happens, and and people are happy. You know, um, if not, we actually go next step, ask more questions try to figure out what's happening. A, a really good base point, Keith, sorry, just really quickly to add in, I think um, to give professional advice, I need to be providing professional advice on professional um, values. So that's where we do ask, you know, an ICP um, to be performed, yep. an NDOC is also the other side of things. So with that information and the ability to question through, I'm generally pretty confident we can sort out people's problems. All right, so here's a tough question from uh, Aquari Aquariismo de Resultado. I don't know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> um, why, why every time that people send three samples of the same water to ICP, the results are completely different? Looks like the ICP test has a huge standard deviation for trace elements. It says it's not reliable. What, um, I'm not sure if this person's talking about Triton or not, but um, what, what would you say to I, that? Uh, th those I, think they, I think they're saying... I think they're talking about three setting up three different ICP testing companies, and I'll let Esan answer that one. But that's I think that's where they're coming from. Right. Yeah. So so look, an ICP is just a machine, right? A lot of people don't really understand that. Um, you if you buy an ICP machine, you buy a machine that can test everything. It can test soil. It can test water. It can test you know you, you could you know oil and and honey and milk. So whatever you want, it can test, but it it, it, it can't do it just on its own. So you need to actually, as the person that bought the ICP machine, you need to create a method of testing. That's what it's called, you know. Um, and, and that's actually the same case for everything else analytical too, right? So you create a method of testing, and that method you create based on what you want to test or what you want to know in that. So in the case of seawater, I, was, I have done that. Right, because that's why it took so long 
for everybody else to buy ICP machine and do the same thing. So it was said that it is impossible to test seawater with an ICP machine. And I proved that wrong, right? So I tested seawater with an ICP machine. A lot of people back then against it, which is all right, because they were skeptic and they don't want to have snake oils. And I, I accept that. But I went all the way and I did my method and method works. And it, it's made fitting the purpose of running an aquarium, right? The problem is I'm not sharing this IP. I'm not sharing this method, right? We actually, we actually produce a machine going with the ICP machine to be able to test seawater, right? That's not, you can't buy this machine. We build it in Germany, right? So if you understand that, wherever you send your test results to, um, they will have other methods. They will have other methods, their own, maybe somebody did them for them or they have done it on their own. But, you know, there's so many things you can do to this sample. You can acidify it. You can, you know, do a million things um, that you prepare the sample or you can split them up. You can, you know, run it fast, run it slow, test it 10 times, test it five times. It's, it's so many things you can adjust. And maybe I make a video once we explain that. But based on this method, the test results will be different or not. So we have actually some companies, they're very close you know, to what we we get. And some companies, they're very far away, you know. And, and it's also time depending. It's also depending on if the method is capable to test over a, a, a test sample that is long-term in in um, in transit. It's a lot of things that you need to kind of have um, done. If you do it with us, a lot of people have done that. They sent several samples to us, right, and and run them through the machine. And get the sample over the 12 years, millions and millions have done that. You know, that's really a lot of people have done that because, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. It, this is a good way to do it. Even Richard Ross has done that, right? Like all in the beginning, and he went, he went very negative, but it's okay. You know, he's a skeptical person and he tries to save people from bullshit. So, yeah. sorry to say that, but this is the reality. He's not a bad guy. He tries to save his community for, for the running into problems. And, and he's done that. And you can see in his results that they are very close to each other, very precise. Um, so that's, that's a whole different thing. And you can dive into it. But the reality is you will never find out. You will never find out what is the right result, right? But you can find out which one is working for Aquarist. And the truth is Triton works for Aquarist. And that's why we changed the whole whole aquarium industry to use ICP machines, right? So in this case, um, I think, again, he can come to us, he can send us email, we answer him, we'll show him data from the system where things is, have been detected in his water. There's no problem with that, right? And we, we do redo his test results if he wants, because we always have a spare sample. There's no point, you know, I mean, we don't have anything to hide. If this wouldn't work, it wouldn't work for so many people. We have 37,000 people uh, testing with us right now, you know. So just look at his case. Again, there will be a problem. Maybe they, maybe he's talking about other companies, whatever. But yeah, are, are you guys the biggest uh, right now? Do you, do you have any idea in terms of are, are you guys um, ha have the most, um, you know, customers in terms of tanks being tested yeah. by far? Yeah, yeah. And we're the only one with four labs around the world um, spreading into different countries. Um, 
if we get a chance, I really wouldn't. I'd like to see that answer that one about the um, reliability and yeah. how we calibrate. Yeah, yeah, so if we get a chance yeah. to do that one, let's let's hit that yeah, one. Yeah, take it, Julian. Isan, do you want to talk about calibration, and or I can explain a little. Or let you talk about it, Isan. You, you run the machine. I'm. Yeah. Is is there is there any specific thing he's asking for? Or? It just. He just said, um, "How how the how the is the machine calibrated, and if we check their, our calibration before and after running tank water samples." Yeah. So what what we do is we don't only check the calibration before and after. Um, we actually check it in between. That's that's sure. something that we do from the beginning. Yeah. So during we test every batch, every third or fourth test. Normally it depends on the machine we're running them on. Um, is is tested a, a, a standard te sample. So it's a known sample we test, right? Seawater. So it's it's natural seawater in that case. Um, and there is a test at the end, which is artificial seawater. So we look at, you know, the, the reality of what, what we're testing is correct. At the end of that, we take the samples and we look at all these samples. If there's any sample not correct, and there's a reason for it, like we, you know, there's millions of reasons that can be one of them can be wrong um normally it's not and if it's not we upload the results right so this is the the way we do it this is our quality control when in an icp with seawater it's very important not to test it at the end and the beginning because it will there will be most likely a difference at the end after 50 results for sure you know like this is kind of really impossible um but you need to be aware of in between two so there are there are a lot of different kinds of errors. One of them is a is a machine error. It's um it's a kind of um, standard error. So it's an error that occurs because the machine is maybe too cold or too warm. Um, these errors are not bad errors because they're they they you know they're on each sample the same, so they can be re recalculated. So you know you you have two hundred minus two hundred sodium on each test, right? So this is you can recalculate that and it's say, okay, so at 200, the machine will do that on that on its own. But there are other errors. There are fluctuation errors. So if you have a fluctuating error, you can't see that. You will not be able to see this. And for that, you need to have as many as possible tests in between to be able to see, oh, I had this run, I had a fluctuation error, I can't upload these results. It's, it's happening and um, that's also why we sometimes have one day delay because then we redo the samples. We, we we have a spare sample always, so we only need one of the samples that you send us. But if there's any issue, we use the second sample, right? And sometimes it happens that one of them is broken, and a run is not quality, you know, like quality is not good enough. So I'll, I'll I'll reject the upload. I'm not going to upload, and then I can't test the second test because there is none. And then we request a new one or we give you a new test, you know, so it's because we're testing like over 2,000, 3,000 tests a month, it's, you know, it's, it's quite a lot. You will know? um, uh, need to have this. Deep Reef asks a good question. I, this is going to be a question I was going to ask you guys too, but um, does the amount of time that the water is in the mail impact results? Does that impact reliability? Um, not reliability, but it's impacting the result a bit. A bit, not too much. It's low. As long as it takes, as more it can happen. It's depending on the element we're talking about, like tin, for example, or, or um, mercury. They are very gluey elements. They will glue on the side of the, you know, of the like vial, and then 
you're possibly not picking them up. With the main elements, normally nothing happens. Um, but what is bad to the to the travel time, and what is why we put machines into America, like in the countries, and try to run them there, is the time, the change in your chrome. So as as closer you are with the snapshot, as better. Because I mean, in the case of emergency, for sure. But even if not, ten days means that you have a picture of your chrome ten days earlier, like in the, in the past, and it's that's not good. That's kind of it's better to have it closer by. That's that's. Are, are you guys planning? So you have a a lab on on the uh, the west coast of the U.S. and in Los Angeles. Any plans for a lab on the east coast, or is that um, not? Uh, not in the uh, the cards. We're not allowed to talk allowed about to it. Talk about it. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll strike that question then. Um, what um, Hammy's Reef has a question about. Um, where do you guys recommend keeping nutrient levels at in terms of phosphate and nitrates at? I guess that would be for the Triton method. Read. You... Uh, habitat based. Julian, you wanted to go. Yes. With that? Yeah, I, I think that brings up. Uh, I guess the latest development in our programming uh which we ESAM put a lot of work into last year and that was um yeah it's based on again i suppose an understanding that i have as a, as a former coral collector um and working in the industry where we go and collect the corals really is dependent um the habitat that we that we visit so a lot of the uh, lps and some of the more famous australian corals like scully meyer and homophilia i think they're called now and um, acanthastria are actually collected right on the coast. Very turbid water, um, nutrient levels vary, uh, salinity changes. Yeah, euphilias, a lot of the most um, kind of gold torch and those really incredible euphilias you see come out of Australia, they also are collected in these habitats, as opposed to where the strawberry shortcakes and, uh, and some of the, you know, the higher, more demanding SPS corals are collected, which are out on the outer barriers and some of these very stable pristine water so um it's not uncommon when you obviously visit aquariums and, and look at different people's tanks to see the, those corals you know sitting within a foot of each other in an aquarium when sharing a common water uh, water chemistry when you know on the that habitats they come from is very unique and very different so in those situations someone's not kind of in their ideal situational or habitat so the habitat uh, upgrade that was put through last year with triton really gives you an opportunity to dictate what the predominant style of your aquarium is is it is it a mixed reef is it a at what we call an outer barrier sps which is the most demanding or is it a soft coral you know a tank which can can handle these ver variety of different levels so you know again what is ideal in nutrient that really depends on what coral are being kept and um Again, you can always go high end and say, oh, well, I'm just going to keep it an SPS as it, as it was in the past for all Triton recommendations were based on. If you want to keep the really hard high end SPS, you need to maintain it at this level. And then you just need, may need to feed some of those kind of other corals a bit more and give them a bit more um, boost nutrient wise. Whereas now we have the option, people can choose where, they, where their tanks are and it will alter the set points accordingly. So SPS dominant tank, um, nitrates, phosphates, what typically natural seawater, or is that uh, targets that you guys recommend for those? F funny is natural seawater is very low. Deviating. Yeah, no, it's deviating. Oh, okay. it's, it's not, it's not always the same. 
you know, so, so like I say, it's habitat based. So the outer reef ones, strawberry shortcakes, you know, super whatever, Disney World, whatever, <laughs> Walt Disney thing, whatever. What crazy it. tenuous. Um, all, all this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, 10 years is even, I've, I've seen 10 years grown like in dirty. But anyway, so, you know, whatever fancy super colds, um, I would go low. I would go low because it's it's pretty much nothing there. Like when I tested, once I tested, Lyle brought water back, Lyle, the owner of Kent's Marine, once, and he had a he had a talk about it in on Magna in Washington, and I tested that water twelve times because there was nothing in there. Really, nothing. It was I, I couldn't believe it. I, I thought it's wrong. Like the guy that asking is kind of, yeah, I thought it's wrong. It was there was, I barely got one reading out of phosphate. You know, so. It's, it's low. It's not always low, though, because we, what, this is the job we do here. This is the science we do here. It's, it's depending when you go, what, what tide you're in. Is the water coming out or going in? You know, um, there's a lot of things that, that, that you need to understand. It couldn't be zero for a while, but then it could be higher um, the rest of the day. So it, it's it's a 4D measurement when we do this. Like it's hard because it's not you go one spot and you have it. You need to stay there every hour and see what's happening in the hours. You know, so um, hard. But to be honest, yeah, low. Go 6P, so 6 phosphorus, 0.018, 0.02 phosphate um, would be would be good. Good coloration, healthy coral low low stress level for them um and and maybe um a nitrate nitrate level like 0.4 would be something around two two ish would be two milligram would be okay but nit nitrogen would be needed to be tested too I me mean, dangerous to yeah it's interesting in my tank um you know i was getting a little bit uh some cyano in my tank so you know, my, my nitrates were like around two and a half, maybe five phosphates, um, 0 0.06, 0 0.07, something of that nature. So I cut back the feeding in terms of the, uh, the coral feeding and, and, and some of the, um, the fish food. And I, I really just made it, um, you know, very buttoned up in terms of just making sure that the water was clean in terms of what I was putting in for food and all that stuff. And my nitrates and phosphates like got down to near zero, you know, after a few weeks and and my you know some of my SPS got pissed off. They started like fading out and um, losing coloration. So you know I think there's just so many different factors in play that um, you know can cause those kind of issues. But I've seen some kick-ass tanks that you know have very very low nitrates and phosphates. Hey, that's it's it's not. You need to understand one thing about nitrate phosphate. And there is a scientific paper about it that I really like. Um, look. Low, no, oh, hey, you hear that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I just lost it. So low nitrates and phosphates are not good. Yeah, it could could be could be bad. Could be bad, right? So it's kind of a curve saying, okay, here. But then you go up, and it's it's kind of in a good level. So you need a bit, but not too much, right? But as you go higher, something else will happen, um, because in that area of no to low. There is no competition. You need to think about that. You know, there is no passive pressure. That's what the the, the um, passive problems they call it in that paper. So there is no pressure on the coral reef. There is no algae growing because it's too low for algae. There is nothing kind of, you know, 
stressing the coral. But if you go higher, it's not bad for a coral. They they will just turn brown possibly yeah. because they get more fat. They get fat. This is what I call, you know, a brown coral is really healthy, good, and maybe too much, right? But but then you get passive problems. They get stress of other factors, right? Because that's not the environment they live in. So you need to have that in your in, in mind when you're keeping corals. You're not only keeping the coral itself. It's not about feeding the coral or just um, thinking of the coral. You need to think about where the coral lives. You keep the environment they live in that, right? And And that's something you also have in mind. And then you decide what you do with your nutrients. It's very hard. It was very hard for me. I, I, I did a lot of work into that field because of the endoc system and there's a lot of organic carbon involved here too. But like I say, you, you don't, go, don't go focused what's good for my coral. Go focused what's good for the whole tank because you're caring for that water in that tank. That's what it is. Right? Just, just to add, if anyone wants um, some information about the uh, I guess the NCP ratio and the work that Isan did into that field. Um, again, email me at hello at triton.de. I can forward you that paper. Um, it gives a lot of information about all the different pathways um, for nitrogen and um, how you know they, they activate within an aquarium. So just, yeah, there's a lot of information there and we freely um, give that out to whoever is interested to read it. So 321 Reefer is asking a question about um, Cockwasser and, and pH, and, and we've been talking a lot about it on this show, and I know others have uh, as well in terms of the importance of pH and to the success of a, um, of a reef tank. But um, the question, this person's question in terms of uh, Cockwasser, first of all, do you guys um, have a um, have Cockwasser that, um, that you sell and have tested? Is it pure, or is that um, something that you do? Uh, uh, we we have tested several ones. People have sent them in um, and asked for us to test it, and and we did it. Um, Kalkwasa is not that bad, though. You know, it's a chemical that can be very pure. It's very easy to produce. Um, uh, uh, if you just buy, just buy, you know, calcium hydroxide somewhere, pharmaceutical quality, food grade maybe in America, still food grade very high grade in America, so you can still. By that, uh, I don't see any problem with that. Um, and and yeah, working wise, it's um, you know there are two ways. You you have two ways to deliver calcium and alkalinity into an aquarium. One is more based on high pH, and one is based on low pH. So you you keep running a low pH version, so your pH is need to be pushed up. You know that's that's what your job is to kind of control not going too low because you add an acid to your tank, like carbonic acid, CO2, right? Um, and when you do in Kalkwasser, you actually do the op opposite. So you're adding OH. You, you need CO2 in that case to create alkalinity. Um, both systems have downsides and pros. So there's no, there's 50-50. Best thing is actually running both together. <laughs> you, you actually right. take the one downside and put it. So yeah, it's really not much more. It's, it's a very simple system. For yeah, for for me, it's it's you, you can see that it's a very easy way to do it. Um, 
and it's a lot of people do it. It's it's pretty good. Is, is there a a target pH that you guys um, you know recommend for the Triton method, or again, does it kind of depend on a case by case basis in terms of what a person's doing? You know, it, and if um, you know what, so what what would be kind of like that target range that you guys would like to uh, you know recommend for a pH? Look, um, coral wise um, is different to fish wise. So coral wise, you know, you sometimes for some corals it's very hard to say, but for some corals is a low pH is not that bad. A lower one, not not six for sure, but you know, like something about seven point nine, seven point eight. Um, it's the corals that can handle the calcium reactor very well. They can handle a um, barling style of tank very well. Um, they 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 got an extra CO2 that kind of they like, you know, that's not too bad for them. Um, there are other corals that don't like that. Um, fish, fish, some fish, especially anteus, we're realizing that they like high pH more, um, could be caused by, they don't like too much CO2. Not sure about that yet. Um, but they seem to be more active. They seem to be eating more. Um, very hard. I kept very difficult anteus. Um, the Triton method is running a more more pH high solution based on the chemicals we use. So we are we're between eight point one and eight point three. Most of the coral like that. Um, some of the bacteria don't like it, but you can handle that. And a lot of fish love it. So healthy fish kind of a, is really good for a healthy reef tank too you know so it just it really depends go and go and um triton method without fish is a bit harder it's really more difficult than it should be you know so just to let you know we we are people that like nature and in nature there's a lot of fish around your coral and that's that's the reality I, yeah, and I like having a lot of fish. I think fish poop is good for corals. I don't have yeah. any proof, but uh... <laughs> I clam poop really good for coral too. Clam poop, also clam poop, huh? <laughs> yeah, where do you get a clam yeah. that big? Uh, you know, I I don't know what's going on with clams these days because years ago I was able to keep clams with no problem, but uh, the last few years I haven't tried a clam in a few years, man. I just cannot keep clams for some reason. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's me. Oh, uh, we can find out. Oh yeah, we could send a clam in for if testing. You want, if you want, no, no, you can. We can just just tell me your your number and just write an email to hello at Triton. <laughs> so Johnny has a question here. Do you see anything wrong with using a two part such as ESV then dosing Triton Trace per ICP test? The one element that scares me is nickel. Haven't dosed that yet. Ah uh, yeah, no, there is no problem. He can do that. There's, it's actually. You know, just beneficial. He's adding some some knowledge into his um, system, but it's better than just dosing something. So, absolutely okay. Um, if he knows what's a nickel, nickel, nickel is good for softies. So if he's having a lot of softies, he can do that. If not, um, like out of my experience, um, it's okay. He can test it. But if it's not really doing anything to his his tank, then just leave it away. Because because it's it's also in a in an overdose it's pretty harmful. So you know this this element is just just to be used if they're really useful for you. So in the case of softies, I think that's pretty good. Um, if not, just try it maybe, and then if nothing happens, leave it away. 
So Hammy's Reef has a question. Do you run blanks in between samples to ensure that one sample is not contaminating another within the uh, spray chamber? Yes, we do. Okay. We, we actually have, we run um, several times. We have a special introduction system. So uh, that introduction system can clean itself. And it does every time we do a test. It cleans itself beforehand. It's very hard. I can't tell you too much about it, but this guy <laughs> seems to understand what I'm talking about. Um, and, and, you know, we don't have any spread of any element further on, but in quality control, I still check that, um, if you have really high amounts of tin or, um, or, uh, mercury because they're gluey, they can still, even after cleaning and whatever happens always in between every test, they can still spread to the other one, but it's visible because it's need to be a special amount in the test before. So, and that's a lot of stuff, right? See, we have that sometimes in aquariums, like you know, the sea, the, the, like the sea worlds, and like the big aquariums, and sometimes have crazy things in their water, and and then we take care of that. But in in hobbies, aquariums, everything would be dead if that amounts appear. So it's it's not really um really a problem. It's I, the standard I, problem I think, to solve. Yeah, I think from some of the explanations Ethan's given, it gives uh, we, we use this analogy that you you can have an oven but that doesn't make you a Michelin star chef. And this is uh, part of the skill that, you know, a, a proper analysis and not the machine is part of the equation, but it's having a, an accurate brain, uh, a, you know, a knowledgeable brain looking at that data and making sure that it's, um, it's correct before it, it goes out and is uploaded. So that's, that's probably what you're paying for really um, with your ICP testing. Yeah. And again, if, if, if there's something, again, we have a spare sample. So if there's something, and, and it was always the case, like we're doing it for years and years like that. If, if there is something that you would say, oh, I don't believe that, it, it couldn't be wrong. It could really be maybe a contamination of that one sample. Understand, we're not testing your water in your aquarium. We don't do that. We test the water in that vial, right? right? So whatever happens to this vial, and, and then and people come to us and say, hey, could, could I have another one? Because I, I kind of don't lose anything, and it's showing... 3,000 copper, yeah, well, definitely something wrong, right? So we test the other sample and then give you that data, and it's fine. Sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's not. So it's always good to ask. We don't have that sample for, the, for nothing in there, you know. It's just not because somebody breaks it. It's, it's more for security if something could be wrong, you know. Before you do something to your tank, very serious, ask us. No problem. I'll just add to that because we do, sorry, yeah, Keith, uh, just because it's very important that, that, that um, when we do get people questioning, you know, they, they've got concerns with their results, the first thing I do is I contact ESAN, the lab, and, and ask that we review the, the actual first sample, see if there's anything that stands out um, strange from that. It, through that, it's again, it's the quality control procedure. Um, we just check that that is, is correct and nothing, there's nothing anomalous there. And if there is an issue, then we go to the next step, which is we look for the backup sample and we test, test it from there. But yeah, people ask all the time for uh, for a review of their results, and and we're happy to oblige. An audit, huh? You you get requests for an audit there, huh? All the time. <laughs> this can't be right. People, people don't like to people don't people don't like to get the truth sometimes. But unfortunately, yeah, sometimes you you do have um, problems with your water. So uh, I saw this question in the chat. Um, 
earlier, and and I and I wanted to ask the question in terms of the frequency of testing. So, what what do you guys recommend in terms of how often you should do ICP tests? You know, I think a lot of times, and I've I've been guilty of this. Um, people order ICP tests when something seems off in the tank, right? But I also think it's a great idea to order an ICP test when your tank is looking great because that kind of gives you a baseline in terms of success. So what do you guys recommend um, frequency of ICP testing? You know, and obviously it costs a lot of money um, to run tests each time. But, um, yeah. you know, what, what's what's a reasonable amount of tests per year? So, yeah. So, so just looking from the side of how you run a tank. I would say if you run it a tried method, we try to reduce errors. So, you know, you're using all our products. Uh, it's very unlikely you have heavy metals in your tank, you know, um, because you kind of, we know what you add and our products are run through the ICP anyway. So in the case of tried method, you're running it every three months. That's way enough, you know. Um, and, and that counts for every kind of size of tank. It's, it's payable, you know, it, it's affordable. That, that's okay. And it's secure, right? Um, if you're a very experimental guy, like I know a lot of my friends, they, they're crazy scientists, so, you know, they, their hobbies are... They're not doing it for the corals, they're doing it for whatever. They're just experimental guys. So they, they do a lot of things to the tank, right? And things that we call the dominator, for example, right? So they build things they, and they're crazy, right? And, and if you're a guy like that, maybe test your water a bit more often maybe every month because you, you, you kind of, you know, you're running risk, right? So you do that. The same counts for really big aquariums. So big aquariums, you know, the, the money you takes for doing a test um, compared to what you could, would have by a loss is if, you, if something dies, is, um, is absolutely good to test it every month, you know? It's not making sense every week. Um, David Saxby is testing every week because he is very, he's very, he is a very old school and very Good reef, I'll know him. Um, but he's having a really big tank, 6,000 liters at home. But it's not, it's not really needed. Every two weeks would be okay. Every one month is okay in my eyes. And, and that's fine. You know, if something is off, you always can do it. But when you're looking at very little aquariums, not running the Triton method, um, it's, it's hard because you're kind of spending the same money on that little 25 liter, 25 um, gallon aquarium like you would you know, do on a 6,000 liter one, right? So, yeah, it's a bit of, then I would say three months is still okay, um, but don't experiment that much. That's just like, if, you know, if you're adding, if you're adding uh, aminos or um, carbon dosing to remove nitrates um, and yeah. to reduce nitrates, then you really need to be doing an endoc, I believe, because effectively you're blind dosing without um, doing an endoc test. So that again, if you're running aminos and you're running uh, or running organic carbon dosing, then you need to be doing an endoc every probably three months. And if you haven't done one before, get out there and do one because you really don't know where those levels are. Can, yeah. can, can a, an Aquarius have too much information? I mean, I know you guys, you know, provide, um, you know, just a lot of granular details in terms of, you know, an aquarium in terms of all the different elements that you guys measure. But can can there be too much information? Can an, an Aquarius be too reactive? You know, what do you guys recommend in terms of if you see results for one test versus another, like a month apart, you know, do you kind of just advise, you know, hang in there, let's kind of see what the next month holds, you know, or, 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 you know, 
I'm sure this this varies depending on the yeah. tank. But uh, what's your kind of general, um, you know, position in terms of the amount of information and the amount of, um, you know, the 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 numbers that people should really react um, based on, you know, yeah. data. It's just I'm always like try to keep things simple and try not to overreact. I try to be very patient. And, you know, if you course correct too often, then I think it can kind of spiral out of control. Can I, can I just yes, jump yeah. in there, Isan, quickly yeah. and let, let you fill it out? Um, I think that it can, it can be as in-depth or as shallow as you want. Some people don't want to know about water chemistry. Some people just want to look at their coral and their fish. Um, if you are that type of person, then get your ICP test, run down the, 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 the colours, the, the um, bars, and just see that everything's you know, in the green, if something's trending into the yellow, then watch it, um, depending on what it is. Follow the recommendations. That's all you need to know. If you want to go in and, you know, chasing numbers, I agree, is not always the best, but some people like to, they enjoy dialing everything into a minuscule level. So that's that's up to the reefer. That's that's what I, I see. Yeah. Keith, the, look, the, the problem is, that we look, we, we're doing we're doing science. We're doing science on aquariums. We're doing science on seawater, but we also do science on aquarists, right? So there's a reason for a lot of things. It's very funny, a lot of funny stories there, because we are aquarists. I'm an aquarist, right? I, I'm I'm a long time aquarist. Julian is an aquarist. I'm missing my tank right now, so we're building a new one. But the reality is that yeah, there are different types of people out there, and um, I think there is an issue in the moment that people see the modern reef keeping still too much like the old school reef keeping. And I'm not saying old school reef keeping as an offense. I'm an old school reef keeper. I'm a very old school reef keeper. I am. But I, I use very modern machines, right? Um, and that said, it's kind of, I want to kind of tell you that, you know, well, you're not doing an ICP test to look at your calcium. You're, you're really not. You know, well, I, I, I'm using that as a guideline to do use, use my own calcium tests, you know, at home to kind of dial them in, you know, to know where I'm really at, right? It's another method, so it's it's kind of helping to to see where you really are. Um, if something is there, an ICP test is seventy percent made for error correction. That means that you're doing something and you don't know mm -hmm. about it. So if something like that happens, react. If there is lead in your water, react, right? There's, because that's causing your corals at one point to die. And I created ICP testing exactly for that reason. What was my problem was I'm sitting there, I'm trying to avoid all mistakes. And in the third tank and the fifth tank, you know, like it is always this case. Like the first tanks always crash sometimes. Second tank crash again, you know, like... And then the third one goes right for four years, you know, um, and that was a problem for me. I, I don't like that. So the situation has is is common everywhere. Everybody has that. And then this coral start dying, and you know, you did something wrong. That's not right. We are out of that. Reef keeping is not like that anymore, right? So you do an ICP test is actually in between. I did the error, and my coral died. It's exactly in between that. So you see it coming, right? You see cop copper on 10, nothing is bleached. Copper on 24, start bleaching, right? Copper on 35, start dying. That, that's kind of the thing 
that you see now, right? And you couldn't see before. So reaction should be based on rational, you know, a rational decision based on your results. If you want to go through them and you understand them, you think you understand them, it's fine. If not, come to us, right? The problem with the old school and modern reef-keeping clash is that people think, if I go to a forum or to Facebook and ask, look at my results, somebody will know what to do. But it's too early for that. In the past, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely with you, calcium, magnesium, KH, phosphate, nitrate. There's enough knowledge out there that, that can help you. But right now, you go onto Facebook and ask for vanadium. I sometimes look at the answers and, and, and I cry. It's just too hard. You know, it's just made up stuff, right? And there's not enough knowledge out there that can help you right now. So the best thing is always ask the person that did the test, ask the person that you think that would know, right? And that's very hard. I don't want to put us in like really high there, but we have done 13 years of testing seawater. We are professionals in there. We have, we have really professional people here that know about the things and we don't panic. Right, and we don't make you panic. So just calm down. If you have a question, write an email. Just an email. That's easy. Just hey, I have a red one. It's lead. Should I really do what you what you guys say? And we say it. We we tell you right away after the test. If it's in your results, do a water change right away. It's red. Right, do it. And if not, then you can ask. If you're in yellow, ask us. So here, here's an interesting question from Reef and Dive. Mr. Isan, don't you consider it would be useful to stratify trustful versus less trustful results? I mean, low potassium means a lot, while low vandium means near nothing. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, we, we kind of do that. So um, everything that is green um, is for us, it's all right. Like, it doesn't matter. Not, not, nothing. So that's already baked in. Uh, yeah, it's in there. So you when you look at the resu results, like maybe communication-wise, it's not kind of kicking in with everybody. But let's let me explain that. You're looking at our results. We have red zones, yellow zones, green zones, right? So for vanadium, for example, even zero vanadium is still green zone. That means that nothing will happen if you have low vanadium, right? Exactly the same counts for nickel. Exactly the same counts for cobalt. Exactly the same counts for chromium while the red zone of these elements will be on the other side. So if you have too high chromium, we will warn you and tell you do a water change. Same counts for cobalt, same counts for vanadium. Um, the other side is calcium. Calcium has a red side on low amounts. So if you go too low calcium, the machine will tell you, hey, be aware, that's a life important for like living animals in your aquarium. You need to replenish that. Right, so it's already in there, and and it's actually written and in color. So we try to be good enough in communication for everybody, but it's automatic in there when you get your results. So uh, I want to be uh, mindful of your time. I think we'll um, we'll fill one more question and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. So Hammy's Reef is uh, asking, can you ask them if they know about? Have you guys heard of Reef Moonshiner? that method in terms of uh, trace elements, and um, if you have heard of that, what's the biggest difference between what you guys do in terms of trade with trace elements versus the reef moonshiner method. Have you guys, have you guys um, heard of that? Yes, we heard about that. Um, wait, it's, it's very much the same thing. Like a lot of people do uh, in the world now selling, um, 
little bottles that go with an ICP test of us or of other companies, whatever. Um, the, there is there is two main things. Um, you know, a, a, a trace element is not just something in a bottle that you can buy. So you need to actually mix this stuff, right? So we produce it. We produce the bottles and some of them need to be chelated. So they need to be carried by another molecule to be usable for your aquarium, right? And that molecule is not easy to understand, um, to, to measure or something. So this is also part of our IP. It means that you, you don't have just vanadium in that bottle. You possibly have vanadium one, two, three, four. Like there are different types of vanadium and there are different salts of vanadium. And then you have, you know, for example, vanadium um, chelated or not to be able to carry into the coral or stay in your tank like it is or not, right? Um, and you need to understand that. So all these bottles are not the same. It works the same way possibly, so you add it. Um, from the logic, it's absolutely okay for me, but people think it's the same in the bottle, and that's not true, right? It's it's different, and I, I don't know. I've not tested his stuff or, or, or that, that company's stuff, but um, like I, I can't imagine that somebody can copy ours right exactly the same. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is that there is, in my mind, uh, that's no method. So a method always describes something a way to, right? So the Triton method is very different to what to just doing um, testing and adding stuff. The Triton method we explained is, is a framework. There's a lot behind that. It's a very deep thing. Um, and there's no copy of that anywhere in the world. So it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, playing with words is always a bit hard. So, you know, it's a kind of a tried method and then this other method, right? But it's, it's absolutely not the same thing. And people need to realize that. But yeah, otherwise it's up on trust. So if you if guys, people trust that company, there's a reason for it, do it. Yeah. I'm okay with that. All right. One last question. We're going to sneak in here. And, and this was a good question to end on. Does uh, three, two, one reefer? Does Triton have anything new coming out this year, or I guess in the next uh, few years that you guys kind of talk about at this point, or anything in the pipeline? Okay, wait. <laughs> two questions, right? Yes, like every year, <laughs> something new coming out, and two, no, because we will get copied right yeah. away. No, no, but no, no, we're not. No, joking, joking. But no, we, we, we obviously don't want to get people too excited. And then um, in the moment, there's so much stuff happening in the world that could inhibit us to, to be fast. Um, so we, we don't want to get them too excited. But yeah, for you sure, know, we're innovating things. Go, go. I, I want to add, add to that. Uh, this man, I've worked with him now for almost two years. And I can tell you one thing. He, he is a mad scientist, uh, an a mad accurate scientist. He never stops thinking, and he's always thinking a year or two ahead. Um, sometimes I've got to slow him down, pull him back, and say, let's just do the things that we've already decided upon, and, and we'll get there. But his brain doesn't stop working. And the other thing is that we um, this year is we're really embarking upon information, getting information out about how Triton system works, doing videos, doing more live stream Q&A sessions like you've been um, awesome enough to, to organize for us, get the information out there, explain things to people, get the um, content is the key to 2021. So you're going to see, you know, a lot more of these type of things, a lot more information, a lot of videos, explanations about our products, how they work, how our testing service works. And I hope that that helps people more, to be more successful. Cool. 
All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Any, uh, any final words here? This has been awesome. Really, really appreciate this. I know uh, the folks out there are digging this. Just a lot of questions coming through. Any, any final thoughts? Can we do it again? Yeah, for sure. Can we do it again, Keith? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's so good. Next, it's so good. Next in the week, morning. It's next awesome. week or the week after. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm game if you guys are game. Bring it on, mate. Good. Yeah, let's see what the comments say, and then we do it yeah, again. Yeah, for sure. And have fun cool. with that. So is it uh, the weekend there yet? No. no yeah, no, it's Friday. Friday. All right. I'm jumping way ahead. Yeah, so we still need a couple, more, a couple hours. more hours. I'm, couple I'm more psyched, hours man. Before I crack I'm psyched, man. This, is, uh, this was awesome. You're my first uh, time, two guests, and, and, and you guys are, uh, you know, international. So broke, broke some new ground here with this, uh, you know, an innovative live stream with an innovative, uh, you know, a couple of guests from an innovative company. You know, there we go. Well, yes, <laughs> sounds good. Anyway, well, that'll do it for this show. Thanks, and, and uh, you know, again, I just want to really thank you guys so much for taking the time. I know you're super, super busy, but um, we'll definitely do this again. And I also want to thank Marine Depot for being the sponsor and supporting the show. Please keep them in mind when you're shopping for your reef tank. My next live stream will be on Thursday, May 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Tulio from Reef Bright had Tulio on uh, before it'll always uh, it's always an interesting conversation with Tulio so please tune in should be another great show so until then be safe out there and we will see you next time thanks Keith.